Welcome to the All About Setwork podcast. In this podcast, we talk about all things setwork, and good training tips, a behind-the-scenes look at what your instructor or trial official may be going through, and much more. In this episode, I wanted to talk about identifying when our dogs may actually be confused about what the game is all about. <laughs> so before we start diving into the podcast episode itself, let me do a very quick introduction of myself. My name is Diana Santos. I'm the owner and lead instructor for Setwork University, Dogsport University, and Pet Dog U. These are all online dog training platforms that are designed to provide high quality dog training instruction and we're very fortunate to have a client base this worldwide. For Setwork University in particular, we provide online courses, seminars, webinars, and ebooks that are all designed to help you achieve your Setwork training goals. Whether you're just getting started in Setwork, you're looking to develop some more advanced skills, or if you're interested in trialing, we have a training solution for you. So as you know a little bit more about me, let's have the podcast episode itself. So in this episode, I want to talk about a pretty broad topic and hopefully not lose everyone on it. <laughs> but basically, how it can be that our dogs are actually entirely and completely confused as far as what it is that we're asking them to do when we're talking about work. So this is something that I've talked about a lot, but I think it's important for us to really underline the point that our dogs are just guessing what it is that we want them to do. And this applies for anything that we're talking about as far as dog training is concerned. We can very easily forget that they are not people <laughs> or that they're a different species, that they're basically trying to figure out what the strange two-legged being wants from them because they comply, right? Things are able to make sense where we ask them to do something and then they seem to do it, right? But what you seem to forget is that all of that's guesswork. And there's a really good chance that there's other things going on. And you oftentimes will see this with just regular training. So let's say for an example, that when you are teaching a dog to sit and you were using a lure, totally fine. There's nothing wrong with using lures. But as you were doing that, you were then like, okay, I don't want to use a lure to teach the dog how to sit anymore. Now I want to fade my lure. So I'm going to just do the hand signal, basically move my hand the same exact way that I would if I held a treat in my hand. But now there's not going to be a treat in there, right? Very typical way of fading lures. But while you were doing that, unbeknownst to you, <laughs> you were actually doing something with your head. Your dog may be probably focused on your hand, but they may also be just be taking in the entire picture. So when you then continue down this path of fading all your overt cues, as far as you think that they are, so you're trying to get a smaller and smaller hand signal. Maybe you're trying to transfer it onto a verbal cue. Again, very typical way of training. You may find that your dog is able to do a sit sometimes, but there are other times when they just don't sit. <laughs> you do the thing that you thought that you trained them to do with the cue you thought that they understood, and yet they're just not sitting. They look at you with that blank look of, I've never heard this before. I've never been asked to do this before. I have no idea what you're asking about. And it's not that your dog is being obstinate. It's not that your dog is being spiteful. Your dog is seeing a different picture. Because unbeknownst to you, you were nodding your head when you were asking your dog to sit. And now maybe this time, when you're asking them to sit, you're not nodding your head. So the picture is different. The dog doesn't understand that whatever thing that you're using now, verbal cue, other kind of hand signal, who knows, that that means the same thing of put my butt on the ground. <laughs> so what does this have to do with work? Well, we have to recognize that our dogs are guessing with everything. And if we're able to have this kind of confusion when we're talking about sitting, which is 
in and of itself fairly simple when you, you think about it. We can see what's happening. We can actually see the pivot. We can see the, the different muscles be able to go into action in order to ensure the butt hits the ground, all that kind of stuff. You then go into the realm of set work where you and I literally cannot see what's happening. <laughs> it's invisible. We can't see odor. We have no idea when our dogs detect it. We have no idea where the odor plume is going, what it's interacting with, what it's doing, what concentration it's in. We have no clue. We have no idea. So how is it that we're assuming that everything is just going to be a bed of roses when the very thing we're asking our dog to find, we cannot see? <laughs> we can guess what may be happening in the space. And a lot of this thanks to what our dogs do in the space as they're tackling a search. But you and I have no clue what's going on. So when you start building in various expectations as far as what the dog is quote unquote supposed to do in order to play the game, but 90% of it, we can't even confirm because <laughs> we don't know what's happening with odor. You're bound to have some issues at some point. If you aren't recognizing that giant elephant in the room of, yes, I want my dog to find odor. Oh, but by the way, I have no idea what the odor is doing. Even if I have the best educated guess, mother nature and the elements and the factors at play could just be like, yeah, it's not going to do that right now. <laughs> is going to do something completely different. So when our dogs start doing things that are confusing to us, like, why are they doing that? It could very well be that they were rewarded for doing that before. And we just didn't think about it, or we didn't perceive it that way. We didn't think we were rewarding them for that. We thought we were rewarding them for finding their hide. But maybe they had already found the hide, and now they had moved on to something else, such as maybe biting at the tin or pawing at something or looking at you or whatever. And then we reward. So the dog thinks, oh, that's what I have to do. <laughs> you like it when I do whatever this is. And that has nothing to do with odor. We have to be really careful about all of this. Now, there's going to be people saying, like, oh, but Miss Santos lady, you're the one who says that you don't like to use markers when you're training. So wouldn't it be really behoove you to use markers for this? And again, I don't think there's anything wrong with using markers when you're doing set for training. I don't think people who train that way are bad people or they don't know what they're doing. It's just not the way that I like to train for set work. I love using markers for other things because the reason being is that quite literally, I don't know what to mark. <laughs> I don't know when the molecules are hitting the dog's nose and then firing off those synapses. I don't want to mark the wrong thing. So I need to be more careful as far as what it is that I'm presenting with my exercises and then what it is that I'm expecting. What do I see? What is it that I'm actually trying to reward? Am I marking something? I try really hard not to mark anything because I don't know what I would be marking. I'm marking behavior. I don't want to mark a behavior. <laughs> I want to reward the dog for finding the thing. I don't want to try to portray to the dog that I know more about odor than they do because I don't. <laughs> so this is where it gets really complicated and kind of in the weeds. But if we can all just take a giant step backwards and recognize, okay, yes, it may seem very simple. We just want the dog to find the hot dog or the birch eye, right? That's all we want them to do. However, unlike teaching a behavior, like a sit, we don't know what goes into the dog doing that. <laughs> we can see them do it, right? We can watch a dog work out odor. But you and I are not saying, 
take a breath with this nostril, blow out extra air with that nostril, that sort of thing. That's not happening. So we have to really own this when we're training our dogs that this huge piece of the puzzle you and I can't really see, and it doesn't exist on our puzzle board. (laughs) It's just kind of there, but invisible, but we have to kind of build around it. And that can make things really complicated for our dogs. They probably look at us as though there's something very wrong with us. Like, how do you not see the odor? What's wrong with you? (laughs) Why can't you detect this the way that I can? It must be such a hindrance to our dogs. But because they're guessing what the game is all about, all dependent on what we do, we have to make certain that we are clear and know there's a really good chance at some point along the way that our dogs are going to think the game is about something entirely different. That also includes what it is that they're hunting for. They may think that they're hunting for hot dog plus person scent. If they don't have hot dog plus person scent, then they're not supposed to find it. I would really be surprised if that was the case, but just as an extreme example. But that absolutely can happen with your target odors, your birch, your anise, your clove, whatever, that if you are the one that's always setting your hides and you do that over a very long period of time, then it's very possible that your dog will go and see that someone else set a hide and go like, oh, nope, mom and dad odor isn't with it. That's not what I get cookies for. (laughs) That would be a problem, right? The flip side of that coin is also true. That if your dog is always seeing a combination of certain things, let's say slobber and odor, because maybe you're teaching in a class, Maybe you're teaching just on your own, you know, and the the highs are always got slobber all over them, just as an example. But that happens consistently enough, then maybe the dog thinks that slobber plus odor is good. Now, could it be that slobber plus odor that's wafting over from an actual odor vessel is also good? An example of this would be is if you had a hide set up in a search area and there was another space that odor was flowing to that other dogs had shown interest in, who knows, maybe they just, they knew that odor was going to that area. And they kind of like wipe their face on it. Let's say it's like a bureau or something. It doesn't matter. But now your dog comes up and like, oh, look, slobber plus odor. That pays, right? (laughs) It's not source. It's not the hide. It's not the thing that we want. Does it mean that the dog is terrible and horrible? Of course not. It means the dog is confused over what the game is about. So The whole point of this episode is to try to get everyone to really appreciate, first of all, how forgiving our poor dogs are, (laughs) but also to put us in more of a position where we can look at this really soberly and say like, okay, what is it that I think my dog actually thinks this game is all about? How may they perceive this incorrectly? And that's not the dog's fault. It's never the dog's fault because we've been setting up practices a certain way and we've been rewarding them a certain way. And therefore they think the game means something. And that very well means something entirely different of what it actually is. (laughs) So I want everyone to just, if you're videoing your, your searches, which you absolutely should be videoing your searches, And if you're keeping track of what you're doing for your training, and you absolutely should be keeping track of what you're doing for your training, (laughs) go through those things. Look for patterns. Look for things that your dog is confused about. Look for how you're setting up your actual searches. 
What are they actually being rewarded for? What do they think this game is really about? And does that actually line up to what you want the game to be about? And how can you offer more clarity for them? So this is kind of a short episode just to get everyone thinking. We do have some webinars coming up that I think everyone's going to be fairly interested in because it's going to be talking about all of this in a little bit more depth and providing you with some ideas as far as training setups and solutions, particularly when you start running into issues with false alerts. So we're breaking these up. It's a series of four that I'm offering where we're talking about container searches, interior searches, exterior searches, and vehicle searches, and the causes and cures for false alerts. Now, again, these aren't going to be exhausted by any stretch. <laughs> They're only 90 minutes long each but they're going to be offering some ideas and suggestions of things that we can think about when we are tackling these types of searches and how we may be able to allow the dog to have a better idea of what the game is really all about, but also how we may be able to improve maybe our handling and just the communication overall that potentially could help improve the likelihood that you're going to be able to go through a search without calling any false alerts. So I strongly urge everyone to check those webinars out. Our first live webinar is actually coming up this Tuesday, which is August 16th. So hope to see you there. But as always, I'd love to hear from all of you. Was this episode thought provoking? <laughs> do you think your dog absolutely knows what the game is all about and you're good? Or do you think there may be some ways you may be able to clear that up? But if there are other topics that you're interested in that we just haven't covered in the podcast yet, please make certain that you let me know. I want to make sure we're talking about what you guys all are interested in. But thank you so much. Happy training. We look forward to seeing you soon.